Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The GX on Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. When you're in the market for a new Ford, stop by Future Ford for a great selection of new and used vehicles. E. GX on Agriculture. With Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, many Saskatchewan farmers are in desperate need of moisture this spring and summer to improve their crop yield prospects for this fall. Philip Harder is a research associate with the Centre for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan. He'll talk about where crops get their moisture and how stubble and residue management influence crop and water availability. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were mixed across the province this past week. We'll hear from provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats on that. Weather is the most important variable for crops, and poor weather in one part of the world will boost prices for farmers in another. We'll hear from well-known agricultural meteorologist Drew Lerner on that subject. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Another mainly sunny skies here today, and our temperature is getting a little warmer, but not quite at that normal temperature just yet. Yeah, and not only not quite normal, but not even quite freezing this afternoon. Getting closer, we're, we'll get there. In fact, we'll get there within our forecast range, but it's slow. It's, it hurts to see it so close to zero and just not getting there. The, uh, the good news, though, is that we're missing that winter storm. It is still ongoing. Uh, eastern parts of Manitoba, uh, western most parts of Ontario, and actually a different winter storm, eastern parts of Ontario. So that province certainly getting their share of winter. In the middle, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the blizzard conditions across parts of uh, western Ontario still cutting a little bit into Minnesota, but almost exclusively now a Canadian storm. The uh, weather pattern, is being driven by that storm, and many pieces breaking off of that storm. Uh, a lot of heavy rain across the uh, eastern part of the country, uh, through Ontario, getting into a, a little bit of Quebec, and then uh, some a lot of winter weather there, too, that extending uh, slowly eastward. So with that system there, and this system tracking basically northward, it's causing a bit of a block. Things aren't moving west to east, which, considering there's a big ridge just to our southwest, is fine because rather than just build in and build out, that ridge is going to very gradually build its way northeastward. And that will bring us into some of that warmer air we've been hoping for and lately looking like it, we're actually going to get into it. I think we do have a pretty decent stretch of milder temperatures in store once we shake these next couple of days. Today we're, we're cool. We're breezy too, which is making it feel that much cooler. Minus four. The gusty breeze around that system will persist likely uh, through the early part of the night tonight, and then it will drop off the high pressure that we're 
waiting on that's causing the differential is moving across western parts of Saskatchewan now. So once it gets east a little more, it'll build overhead. That will allow us to see the wind to die down. We'll fall off to minus 14. That's the trade-off. It's cool under that high. Uh, partly cloudy. It's mainly clear sky, though, for tonight. Very little wind by morning, almost calm wind. Picks up a little bit through the day tomorrow, mostly on the low end of 10 to 20, mostly sunny sky tomorrow with a high of minus 2, mainly clear minus 15 for Thursday night, and Friday mostly sunny, still just shy of freezing, will be around minus 1. Call me the uh, pessimist. There's some potential of hitting 0. I think we're just short. Um, the wind picking up, though, it'll all be on the timing of the wind. It's a strong south to southeast wind that will pick up. This is the time we do want the wind because the wind is on the warmer side of the system. So once that kicks up, we'll see the temperature climb. I think it's supposed to be too late for most of us. Area south, uh, south of the Trans-Canada especially, uh, across uh, toward, toward Regina, toward Saskatoon, should have no problem cracking freezing on Friday. We'll take until Saturday. But we'll get there on Saturday. Partly sunny sky, getting up to around 2 degrees and 3 on Sunday. Looking through the uh, beginning part of next week, there are temperatures that are above normal. Normal high early week, 7 or 8 degrees. We'll be above that. We have a couple of days of double digits in store as well. So a nicer stretch. The uh, week is not all roses, though. There are some uh, little systems along the way, but uh, we'll, we'll focus on the good for now. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 3 degrees. Swan River and Brandon, minus 5. Dauphin and Roblin, minus 4. Show Lake Russell, minus 6. Regina, Saskatoon, and Indian Head all reporting in at minus 11 degrees. Hudson Bay, minus 3. Broadview Mooseman, minus 7. Winyard Wadena Kelvington, minus 10. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a north-northwest wind at 33 kilometers an hour. 54% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 6 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 14 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 6 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 20 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is plus 6. The normal low is minus 5. The sun rose in Yorkton at 6.17 this morning, and it will set at 7.29 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday the Manitoba hotspot was Cross Lake at plus 1 degree. The cold spot Thompson at minus 28 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was South End at plus 3 degrees. The cold spot was Island Falls at minus 24 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. It's time now to check in once again with Danny Ismond. And Cinnaboy Spring Fever Lotto, one triple eight two eight nine three two seven six or one triple eight by farm. So you get that phone call. Are you going to choose one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the grand prize? Are you going to take maybe one of the uh, farm packages? That would be a Case IH farm package, the twenty twenty three Case Farm All one twenty eight Final Pro Tractor. Okay, that's an option. Are you going to go with the John Deere Ranch Package, the twenty twenty three Deere fifty one thirty M Utility Tractor and Loader? Hmm, some decisions to make, right? Nice to have them. And again, if you don't want one of those ranch packages or the farm packages... 
Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Many Saskatchewan farmers are in desperate need of moisture this spring and summer to improve their crop yield prospects. Philip Harder is a research associate with the Centre for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan. He touches on where crops get their moisture. Well, the wonderful thing about crops, water, agriculture, and everything is, is that everything varies. <laughs> Nothing is um, very consistent. There's a lot of work that's gone into, say, understanding the water use efficiency and peas and lentils, very efficient users of water. But at the end of the day, they also use a whole lot less water than things like wheat and corn and canola, which have completely different rooting systems and access completely different portions of, of the soil profile. We're doing a fair bit of work on trying to understand some of these things. So there's a sort of general idea that rainfall equals crop production. And obviously that's the case. We see a rain happen, we see a response in our crops. But the more sort of subtle and long-term component of it is our, our soil moisture. Trying to disentangle where is the water coming from, how much is going into production is, a, is kind of a tricky thing. So we've been looking at some observations from some of our research sites, just mostly south of Saskatoon near uh, Clavette and Keniston. And over time, we were building up this, this data set. And, you know, some years, in-season rainfall can be, you know, 90% of our crop water use and the remainder comes from our soil moisture. But we also have situations like 2017, we've got data from Keniston, where our canola crop, it used nearly 250 millimeters of water, while rainfall that year was 67 millimeters. So in that situation, 75% of our crop water use was coming from sources other than rainfall. Trying to understand where that other portion is coming from is hard. So snowfall is a big component of it. The problem with snow is that it's a completely different set of hydrology. You've got snow accumulation in winter, and then we have to go through snow melt, and then is it gonna run off or infiltrate into the frozen soils? And how much of that even actually makes it into the growing season that survives a bare soil evaporation between snow melt and, and the start of the season? At the end of the day, it's, it's quite variable. In a wet summer, the rainfall will overwhelm any snowfall contributions. In a dry situation, snow is going to play a huge role. All dependent on did it actually snow the year before because it's the prairies and everything varies. He explains how stubble and residue management influence crop and water availability. From a hydrology perspective, we always want to think about the water balance. So in terms of what goes in must come out or there's a change in storage. When we think, how can we manipulate some of these things? Um, we're trying to think in those terms. So can we change what's going in? Because that could potentially increase storage or availability. Um, can we reduce what's going out? Because that's going to maximize the most for, for crops. Um, and so when we look at stubble, when we are managing stubble, what we're doing there is we're changing the amount of snow accumulation. Um, blowing snow, once it removes the snow out of the field, we leave tall stubble, it keeps it there. It cuts down on sublimation losses, which can be quite significant in this environment. So stubble management changes the input of water into our soils. On the other hand, residue management, um, it does have some influence, obviously, in terms of how it can improve infiltration, um, mostly by keeping water 
on the landscape rather than running off immediately. But that's kind of a second order factor. The biggest factor that it has is it's cutting down bare soil evaporation. So we're not losing water through evaporation uh, in that situation. So yeah, with these two levers, we're well, number one, changing the water coming in, and number two, reducing how much is leaving. Philip Harder is a research associate with the Center for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan. He was a guest recently on Sasquatch's Wheat Profit podcast. I'll have more with Philip Harder coming up on GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. New Era 94, Ag Review. According to the latest Commitments of Traders report from the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, managed money fund traders are finally covering their bearish bets after hitting the largest speculative short position in canola on record. As of March 28th, the net managed money short position in canola futures came in at 63,005 contracts, a decline of about 12,000 contracts from the previous week. Open interest in the canola market came in at 296,705 contracts on March 28th, which was down by about 14,000 from the previous week. An analyst expected to see more fund selling over the next few weeks, especially given the recent rally in crude oil, as fund traders will want to exit the May contract ahead of its expiry. The Global Pulse Federation says that chickpeas are expected to be in short supply around the world over the next six months. Hot and dry weather in India cut production prospects for that country's Kabuli chickpea crop. Production out of Mexico also failed to meet expectations. As a result, the world Kabuli market is out roughly 100,000 metric tons of product. The tighter Indian balance sheet should cause world prices to rise, until new crop North American supplies will once again be available. With India at a deficit, the major chickpea customer will need to increase its import volumes, and all eyes will be on Russia, Canada, the United States, and Turkey to make up supplies. CN and CP Rail supplied a combined 93% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 34, an improvement from the previous week's 91% and the best performance seen for the two railways combined since week 5 in late August. It reflects an improvement in performance for CN, while CP performance was unchanged from the prior week. In supplying 94% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 34, CN's order fulfillment performance improved from the 90% order fulfillment performance seen in week 33. This marks the third consecutive week that CN has supplied 90% or more of cars ordered in a week. That represents the first time since weeks 4 to 6 that CN has achieved this. CP order fulfillment performance was unchanged from the prior week, with the railway supplying 93% of cars ordered for the second straight week. CP order fulfillment performance has now been 90% or better for two consecutive weeks, the first time the railway has achieved this since weeks 4 to 5 in late August. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency says for the first time in this country, 
A pet dog has been infected with H5N1 avian flu. The dog was infected after chewing on a wild goose in Oshawa, Ontario. The dog developed symptoms and died. A necropsy yesterday showed the flu affected the dog's respiratory system. The federal government says pet owners should not allow pets to eat or play with dead wild birds. Prince Edward Island's incumbent agriculture minister and both opposition agriculture critics won in Monday night's provincial election in which incumbent Premier Dennis King's Tories were returned with a majority. Darlene Compton has been King's agriculture minister since last summer as well as his incumbent deputy premier. The incumbent opposition Green Party leader and agriculture critic Peter Bevan Baker also held on to his riding. The Liberals' incumbent ag critic. U.S. agribusinesses want to invest more money in Cuba. They're calling on the Biden administration to ease restrictions and allow them to invest in private agriculture on the island. Last May, U.S. President Joe Biden loosened restrictions on travel, remittances and migration and promised the United States would do more to support the private sector in Cuba. Change, however, has been too slow to come. The U.S. businesses are keen to both sell their own product to Cuba and to invest in private sector farms and cooperatives to help them develop. Many farms have been shuttered by lack of investment, equipment, fuel and supplies, leading to widespread shortages of food across Cuba. And that's today's Agriview. It's time to head back out once again now to Danny Ismond. Well, we are in Assiniboia today. The spring fever lotto in spring is just... Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny and minus 6 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were mixed across the province this past week. Provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats says steers were mixed and heifers were mainly higher. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices continue to be strong, but there were a few weight categories that fell compared to the previous week. For Saskatchewan steers, prices ranged from 346 per hundred weight for the four to five hundred pound category, up to 238.10 for the 900 plus pound steers, and the larger Largest price gains were in the heavier steers with the eight to nine hundred pound steers up an average of two sixty seven per hundred weight over the prior week. And the largest decrease was in the five to six hundred weight steers, which were down an average of six dollars per hundred weight to average three twenty eight fifty for that category. And the average prices for Saskatchewan heifers were primarily higher compared to the prior week. Prices ranged from three twenty one sixty seven for the three to four hundred pound category to 227.63 per hundred weight for the 800 plus pound category. The largest gains averaged 950 per hundred weight over the previous week for the four to 500 pound category. And the 800 plus pound category had a small decline of 34 cents per hundred weight compared to the previous week. She outlines the factors behind the price changes. Yeah, we've seen improved feeding margins in the recent weeks and also contract highs in both 
the live cattle futures have both provided support for the feeder market, and there's also limited supply of feeder cattle. Froats has the marketings for the week. Canfax reported 12,764 head of feeder cattle in Saskatchewan over the week, which was above the week before where we saw 10,260. And as for market-ready cattle prices... The Canfax price for Alberta-fed steers reported on March 31st was 213.73 per hundredweight, and this was up again 331 per hundredweight compared to the last reporting, which was at 210.42 on March 24th. And Alberta cow prices were mixed compared to the prior week. D2 cows were down on average 186 per hundredweight, still averaging 132. 50 per hundredweight and D3 cows were up 533 per hundredweight to average 119.13 for the week. That's provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats. She compiles the weekly cattle market report. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for June closed at 160.30 today. That's up seven. August live cattle closed at 159.97, up 20. May feeder cattle closed at 202.10, down 17. August feeder cattle closed at 219.22, down 27. May lean hogs closed at 81.30, down 87. June lean hogs closed at 88.37, down 120. And that's the livestock market conditions. Weather is the most important variable for crops, and poor weather in one part of the world will boost prices for farmers in another. So that's why more producers monitor conditions in other important global growing regions. Well-known agricultural meteorologist Drew Lerner recently reviewed world weather conditions for other major wheat and durum producing areas, starting with North Africa. Lerner says Tunisia has the worst drought conditions. Quite dry in both the top and subsoil. Relative to last year, Tunisia has got the biggest potential loss coming up. For Algeria, the situation is similar to slightly drier than last year. So they too may come up a little bit less than they did last year. But they could see that change if they could get some better rain coming in in the near future. And then in Morocco, 60% of Morocco's wheat and barley is produced in the southwestern production areas. This region has been in a multi-year drought like North America. And it's so dry in this area that the largely irrigated crop was not planted this year or last year. And so Morocco is going to have a smaller crop right off the bat. So overall for North Africa, the production is going to be less than last year because of Tunisia's dryness, unless something big changes right away. But I don't think you're going to see a lot of change in Algeria's production, uh, a little bit less perhaps. And northern parts of Morocco, actually, they had some good rain earlier on, and the crops there may be actually a little bit better than they were last year. Moving over to India, most wheat areas did not receive much rain from the beginning of January through mid-March. Precipitation arrived in late March, but it may be too late for some wheat crops. The crop is done reproducing. It's filling at this point. 
We did see a fair amount of moisture in a very important production area. And there was some benefit, you know, certainly some of the crop may have actually seen a little bit of potential for improvement, but only in quality, not in yield. We missed the boat on the yield. Now, there's a lot of chatter out there from India that we damaged some of the wheat because some of this heavier rain in the north was accompanied by hail. And there was some pictures that came from that area showing wheat flattened and all that stuff. Uh, but most likely, these were pictures of the worst case conditions and is not representative of the India as a whole. Certainly, any rain as you're going through the filling stage can still be beneficial. But when you start maturing the crop, and some of this crop is maturing, it's not going to be good for the quality. We could end up with some head sprouting. To the southern hemisphere now, and Australia is coming off a very large crop. Wheat seeding is just getting underway, and current conditions are good. However, that could change as La Nina departs and El Nino arrives. El Nino is not a friend of Australia's, and uh, El Nino is always a problem for them. El Nino will likely impact them in their late spring and summer. Okay, this is their autumn. They'll be planting, like I said, April into June. So this forecast that you're seeing here is only for the planting season, and it looks pretty darn good. There's going to be a good balance of moisture, a little bit of dryness maybe in the southeast there, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal. There will be a little bit of an increase in precipitation in Queensland and northeast New South Wales, so it will help them get started. So what I think will happen is they're going to get their crop planted. It's going to get off to a fair start. But when El Nino kicks in, it's going to start cheating the rains across Queensland and New South Wales. And we'll probably end up with some moisture stress as those crops reproduce and fill in the latter part of the year. Now, if El Nino starts in June, this is for sure going to be an issue. If it starts in September, it's not going to be nearly as big a deal. Back to our continent now. And Drew Lerner provides the spring outlook for his home turf in the U.S. Midwest. In the spring, we are going to see a little less than normal precipitation in parts of the Midwest. That'll be great for their planting. We're going to see a little bit more than normal precipitation in the uh, northwestern part of the corn soybean belt, a little bit of improvement in hard red winter wheat country. And uh, you can see a little part of that uh, near to below normal precipitation from Canada that extends into Montana and maybe western part of North Dakota uh, during the spring season. Uh, it'd be a little bit cooler biased in the western United States, a little cooler biased in the upper Midwest, but warm temperatures will likely occur across parts in the Midwest. And looking ahead to the summer. Because of that PDO pattern that produces the trough in the west and the ridge in the east, you're going to see a warmer and drier than normal pattern in the middle of the U.S., including the western Corn Belt. Uh, you'll see precipitation coming into the Pacific Northwest, running up over the northern plains and into Canada's prairies, and you'll probably see more normalish weather occurring in the eastern parts of the Midwest. Drew Lerner is an agricultural meteorologist with World Weather, Inc. His comments come from a webinar recently sponsored by the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission. It's time now to check in once again with Danny Ismond. 
We have your ticket waiting for you for the Assiniboia Spring Fever Lotto. This is the one. You know you know the phone number, right? It's popular. The one triple eight by farm. We all remember that. It's their 28th annual Spring Fever Lotto, and you can be a part of this. Now, just because you haven't been in the past doesn't mean you can't be in it now. Uh, actually, that's even more reason to get in now is because you've missed those other years. This could be the year you were waiting to win it, right? The $150,000 grand prize. Somebody's going to get a chance to choose between an airplane... Yeah, no kidding, right? That perked the ears a little bit, right? You have a chance to win an airplane. There's a truck and golf cart package you could take with the trailer and golf cart and truck, a winter recreation pack where you have four snowmobiles, two side-by-sides, and a four-place enclosed trailer, or one of the uh, farm packages, a case tractor or John Deere tractor with a loader. Perfect, right? Nice to have the options. But you need to have the ticket in to win. one 289 3276 55 chances to win, including the uh, early bird this Sunday. one 289 3276 or 1-888-BUY-FARM with the Assiniboia Spring Fever Lotto. Farmer Commodities Update. Canola futures closed down across the board today. May canola closed at 763.70, down $13.60. July canola closed at 744.90, down $14.80. May Minneapolis wheat closed at 873 and a half, down 16 cents. May Kansas City wheat closed at 861 and a half, down 11 cents. May Chicago wheat closed at 682 per bushel, down nine and a half cents. May corn closed at 652 and three quarters, down one cent. May soybeans closed at 1511 per bushel, down six and a half cents. May oats closed at 338 per bushel, down three cents. And that's the Commodities Update. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Faulkner. As you heard earlier in the program, many Saskatchewan farmers are in desperate need of moisture this spring and summer to improve their crop yield prospects. Philip Harder is a research associate with the Centre for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan. First, he touched on where crops get their moisture. Then he explained how stubble and residue management influence crop and water availability. Now, Harder outlines how farmers can manipulate soil moisture on their farms in light of recent drought conditions. It's kind of a chicken-egg situation when it comes to stubble lights. Um, if there is no water, crops don't grow. We're going to end up with short crops, and you don't really have a huge opportunity to manipulate things. It's a bit of a tricky one sometimes, but at the end of the day, if we are in a water limited situation, a water stress situation, which is the normal situation for the vast majority of Western Canada, the higher you leave your stubble, the more snow you'll keep on the landscape. It's really dependent upon the year. What we do to the stubble doesn't matter if it doesn't snow, but it generally snows. Um, This is a thing that happens quite regularly. And the wonderful thing about snow is that it accumulates over time. We have an entire winter season. So even if there's minimal snowfall, we we generally will have some sort of snowpack. In addition, by leaving the stubble higher, it kind of creates the situation where it depends on your landscape. 
So if you are downwind of a pulse crop, you are going to be trapping all the snow that's blowing off of that. At the end of the day, you can have huge gains in terms of water equivalent when you have taller stubble heights. There's some work we did um, back in the day looking at, say, comparing Saskatoon and Swift Current. Uh, so on average, one centimeter increase in stubble height would equal another millimeter of water into your soil. But within that, you know, there's a huge, that's the average response. Some years you wouldn't see anything, other years you'd see twice as much. In terms of crop residues, it's a bit trickier because that has implications for long-term land management. Um, you're not going to be able to instantly have a residue cover one year if you didn't have it the year before. So it's one of those long-term things. In terms of from a water perspective, residues will not generally hurt you. So what you see on the landscape in terms of context for what it's doing for soil evaporation, um, your rule of thumb, which obviously is going to be wrong, but for every 10% increase in crop residue cover, you will see a 5% decrease in soil evaporation. So, you know, if you're starting off with fairly open bare soils, you have a large opportunity to reduce the amount of a soil evaporation that way. Putting all those things together, it gets a little bit complicated. There's there's all sorts of new opportunities these days to manage our, our residues and our stubbles in ways that we, we never had in the past. The one thing that I've been keeping an eye on lately is, uh, say, looking at stripper header stubble. Um, so this is where we have the stripping of, of seeds off of the stem, and what you end up with is basically the tallest possible stubble height that you could manage. I've been in some fields with on the order of 90 centimeter tall stubble. Uh, and those ones, they're catching every single bit of snow that is falling and it's still there. And so, you know, we're talking about, you know, on the order of 100 millimeters of water equivalent in those fields versus adjacent fields that are around, you know, 40 millimeters. He notes some farmers still push ridges in their fields to capture blowing snow and even install snow fences, but it's hard to say if it's worth it. You're gonna hate this answer, but it depends. It really depends upon the weather and the, and the specific conditions of, of that season. They did a lot of work on this back in the 80s, and at the time, some years, yes, there was a gain, and some years, it was not. So from a hydrology scientific perspective, this is a practice that would be classified as unreliable. That all work was all done with the economics of the 80s. <laughs> Update to today, everything costs more. I don't know where those numbers would shake out to that. Will it catch you more snow in the field? Yes. Is it worth it? I don't know. It's not going to harm your moisture situation. It's a lot of work. There's a lot of diesel that goes into it. The stuff that I've seen more recently in terms of snow ridging, yeah, like this is what we're doing along the highways in some areas. And in terms of say, avoiding snow moving into yards and roads and stuff, sure, great. Yes, it's gonna make a difference in terms of capturing more snow in the landscape, who knows. Generally, what we're seeing is these things happen on the edges of fields how much of that water is going to be infiltrating in place or is it going to be running off immediately to a drainage system, which in our ditches. So there's kind of these weird sort of spatial relationships that, that do kind of get in the way of making those things effective. And yeah, snow fences, there's a lot more uh, sweat that goes into that, but you're not going to be burning as much diesel. You can be a little bit more strategic in some of those locations as well. But yeah, it's, 
When it comes to snow management, there's no limit to creativity out there. At the end of the day, if you're doing anything to make your surface rougher, you're trying to create some sort of disturbance, you to to basically the wind flow field is what you're manipulating, you will end up with more water on your landscape. Harder then talks about the difference between row spacing and height when it comes to stubble. In terms of snow retention, it doesn't as much as height. There are all these different variables that do contribute to defining an outcome. But in terms of sensitivity, height is the biggest one. Row spacing is, is by far secondary. When snow blows across a landscape, it interacts with the surface kind of in very much an aerodynamic sense. So you have to think about, you know, if you want to get into like fluid dynamics and stuff. So you have a rough surface things get more turbulent, there's more drag at the surface, things drop out. It's blowing across the stubble. It's not blowing down into it or anything like that. And so height is very much the first order control on how much snow is kept on the landscape. Philip Harder is a research associate with the Center for Hydrology at the University of Saskatchewan. He was a guest speaker on Sasquatch's Wheat Profit podcast. And be sure to listen to the latest GX on Agriculture podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Moosom and Mindian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today, Partly sunny, winds north-northwest at 15 to 30 with higher gusts at times and a high of minus 4 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds northwest at 10 to 20, then diminishing late, a low of minus 14. For tomorrow, mainly sunny, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 2, a low of minus 15. For Friday, mainly sunny, Winds southeast at 15 to 30 and gusting higher, a high of minus 1. For Saturday, partly sunny, a high of plus 2. And for Easter Sunday, mainly sunny, a high of plus 3. In the Paw, it's minus 3 degrees. Swan River and Brandon are at minus 5. Dauphin and Roblin, minus 4. Show Lake Russell, minus 6. Regina, Saskatoon, and Indian Head are reporting in at minus 11 degrees. Hudson Bay, minus 3. Broadview, Mooseman, minus 7. Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 10. The Yorkton, Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a north-northwest wind at 33 kilometers an hour. 54% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 6 degrees, with the wind chill it feels more like minus 14 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. The GX on Agriculture podcast has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get rolling again sooner.